to Behind the Screens. I'm Matthew Liebman from Movio. And I'm Simon Burton from Numero. Hey Simon, talk to me about action figures. Did you have a collection growing up? You're a Star Wars man, He-Man, G.I. Joe? Not exactly, Matt. I was a bit more of a... I was a, I was a fan of Shearer. I did get into He-Man yep. and the Master of the Universe a little bit, but didn't have all the uh, the action figures. It's more of a Thundercats fan. Thunder, Thunder, Thundercats. Oh. That's right. Yeah, lots of early mornings up watching that cartoon. Um, and also Transformers. I remember having a number yep. of Transformers growing up. And they, they certainly don't don't make them like they used to. I know some of the Transformers that I've handed down to my son, Jack, compared to the versions that he's got today, they're just not uh, not as resilient and, and well put together as the, the ones that I've been able to share with him. Well, they transform into pieces on the floor, not from a, a car <laughs> to a, you know, a walking robot. What's on the agenda for today, Matt? Today we'll be interviewing Movio's Chief Client Officer, Sarah Luthwaite, about emerging trends in loyalty, messaging and more. But before we do, how big a twist was it that M. Night Shyamalan's old solidly knocked off Snake Eyes at the weekend domestic box office? Yeah, well, before we get to that, Matt, congratulations on getting his name out in, in one go there. That was yeah. that was brilliant. So, yes, leading the, the domestic box office this weekend was Universal Pictures Old with a gross of 16.5 million US dollars, followed by Snake Eyes with 13.35 million US dollars. Uh, Black Widow in its third weekend dropped 55% from last weekend to $11.6 million. Uh, and rounding out the top four was Space Jam A New Legacy. This weekend it dropped 69% from its opening weekend of $31 million down to 9.56. A significant drop there um, and it's also obviously available for free in HBO Max households so that probably had had an impact there. If we broaden our, our lens to, to the international sector, I think it's important to note there were two films in China this week which opened to larger numbers than the domestic box office. The first one of those was White Snake 2, The Tribulation of the Green Snake. Um, I'm not going to launch into a, a rendition of Here We Go Again, but that grossed an estimated $29.8 million. And their second placed film there, Chinese Doctors. 17 million dollars uh certainly illustrating that the chinese box office is is well and truly back um if we look at july 2021 versus july 2019 uh it's still down a fair bit on on that particular month but if we look at the actual year-to-date numbers for the china box office versus 2019 they're only down about 14 percent which i think is a pretty pretty good result coming out of out of 2020 so nearly 30 billion won this year to date against the 34.8 billion won in in 2019 so uh, a shout out to the recovery in the in the china box office market there if we look more closely uh, at the top racked film old domestically as we said 16.5 million us international total of six and a half million for a, a global cum after its weekend of 23 million us dollars and m night's sixth number one opening as a director and as we said the third on the trot um, following glass and split so that's the the box office matt what did the audience for old look like this past weekend yes i mean we've previously talked about there being different horror audiences different types of audiences depending on the horror story and that they're not all the same and old seems to have united the tribes when we look at audience overlap those movies with the greatest overlap for old have the literary mix in invisible man quiet place it chapter two us and midsummer but also the slasher profile with um, Escape Room Tournament of Champions, Forever Purge and Fantasy Island. Look, other than that, the profile's near identical to these benchmark movies in terms of age and gender. But the one thing that did jump out to me is the percentage of people aged 17 and under 
was almost identical for old and the next movie we're going to discuss snake eyes and both of those were about half of what space jams achieved for that age group so has this had particular implications for our next movie uh, that we were going to talk through snake eyes in terms of what you're seeing in the dollars and potentially how it might have contrasted to, to previous installments in the franchise yeah, it could have. I think if we look at the, the Snake Eyes results for the weekend, 13.4 million. We have to go back eight years since the, the previous G.I. Joe retaliation film was released. It, uh, it made a tick over $40 million on its opening weekend. And at the start of the, the franchise, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, 54.7 million US dollars. Mm-hmm. So certainly much larger results for those previous films. You could argue they're a bit more loaded with stars than this, this current one. Uh, and obviously a, a hugely different environment that this film is releasing. But yeah, $13.4 million for G.I. Joe Origins Snake Eyes. And then from an audience perspective, top three films with the greatest audience overlap have all been recent releases. Black Widow, F9, and The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. And the stats reinforce that these are active moviegoers. Um, Almost 40% see at least six movies annually. And here are five titles, including Snake Eyes itself, that were released in the last six weeks alone, uh, after almost a year of cinema closures. So these people have come back out of their houses hard and it kind of reinforces a couple of points. First of all, cinema going is a virtuous cycle. When people go, they remember how much they love the experience. They see a bunch of trailers and they plan their next visit. So we're seeing that happen. And one other thing we're seeing is that, you know, despite solid grosses, the feedback's been a bit muted on Snake Eyes. And we often see these types of movies are most overrepresented by frequent cinema goers who just love the experience. And they'll almost go and see whatever content's out just to be back in a cinema again. Um, When comparing it to the average weekend audience for Black Widow, F9 and Escape Room Tournament of Champions, we see that there's a very strong older male skew for this film. You know, 41% are age 35 plus. Usually that's only about 33%. There wasn't one age break where the female segment for Snake Eyes matched the overall benchmark for movie going generally. And then if I compare Snake Eyes to Black Widow and Escape Room and F9, because they all had PG-13 classifications, as I said, about 17% of Snake Eyes audience was age 17 or younger versus 20% for these other three films. So it didn't skew as young as what we've seen for Black Widow, F9 and Escape Room. Maybe they were at Space Jam or still watching Black Widow, but I would have guessed that G.I. Joe would have more closely matched those demographics. Well, enough about the movies that opened this past weekend, Matt. Shall we introduce this week's guest? Yeah, thanks, Simon. In 2009, I just joined Hoyts and was charged with creating their first loyalty program. And this was a completely new space for me. So I asked around for someone I could talk to for tips and tricks and was introduced to our next guest, Sarah Luthwaite. At the time, she was overseeing one of the world's most successful loyalty programs, Cineplex Entertainment Scene Program. We met up in Vegas during CinemaCon and it was at the coffee shop at the Paris Casino for the old timers. She was incredibly knowledgeable and generous with her time and we stayed in contact and continued to catch up from time to time over the years. So when I heard that Sarah was joining Movio and I had a chance to come on board around the same time, I jumped. And it's the only time I've ever joined a company to work with another person. Sarah's been with Movio for seven years and is our inaugural Chief Client Officer, overseeing the team that serves our global exhibition, studio and distribution clients. She's a Governor of the Cinema Technology Community and sits on the board of the Event Cinema Association. 
and Sarah has deservedly been named to Celluloid Junkies' annual list of 50 top women in global cinema since 2017. I'm delighted to welcome my partner in crime, Sarah Luthwaite. Thanks, Matthew. I wasn't expecting such a lovely introduction. At least I could do. I'm really grateful that you're spending some time with us today. So look, you oversee a team of industry account managers serving exhibitor um, and studios in, in about 60 different countries. Can you share what some of the macro trends you're seeing at the moment are? Yeah, there are definitely a few trends we're seeing internationally, and I'll probably touch on three that I think are actually all somewhat interconnected. Um, Firstly, it's probably no surprise, everything is moving more to digital. Mm. Both studios and exhibitors are enhancing their strategy in the space even further, expanding more to social and digital channels for all of their marketing. Film studios were already doing this to a large extent, but they've really doubled down even more so in the last year, and I think are looking to expand even further into more emerging areas of digital, such as advanced TV. Whereas exhibitors are also looking to take advantage, and I think that's a reflection of the fact that consumer behavior has changed. So exhibitors are making sure they're maximizing their use of digital, not just to reach consumers with marketing, but also to enhance the guest experience. And again, secondly, and kind of connected to that, is that data is more critical than ever. It's helping marketers in our industry build back attendance and also to understand who is returning. Um, For instance, a trend that we're seeing in the data about returning moviegoers that I think has been really helpful to the industry is that once you've got someone to come back in the first time, it's then easier to keep them coming back. Um, We were looking at some recent data here in the UK, for instance, and A Quiet Place 2 was one of the first big releases this year upon reopening of cinemas. And then you look what happened to those who came out to see A Quiet Place 2. And the next film they saw was Fast 9. And then the audience that saw Black Widow had come to see Fast 9 and so on and so forth. So it really starts to pick up once you can get somebody over that hurdle of returning for the first time. So data is really helping us to understand who's coming back and help to identify some of the barriers potentially to that first visit. And I guess lastly, the, a broad trend we're seeing across both sides of the industry is about doing more with less. Uh, studios and exhibitors are, are really leaner um, than ever and are looking for efficiencies. They're looking for faster and smarter ways of doing things. And, finding ways to make the most of their marketing budget and also their marketing team's time. So a more focused effort that has a higher impact and a greater return on their investment. Yeah, that's really helpful. And, you know, your point about once you go, uh, you tend to come back more is something Simon and I've just touched on with this week's two new releases, Old and Snake Eyes. So it seems to be perpetuating, you know, what you just shared there. Now, you oversee the, the client services that we provide on a global basis. What country or countries are you seeing emerging from the 2020 pandemic better than others? And, you know, how much of that is with the exhibitors? How much of it is with the country and their governments? And how much is just good luck? Gosh, it's it's such a good question. And I think a few weeks ago, I would have said France as a kind of mm-hmm. beacon for the industry because of at the end of June, France was actually tracking ahead of 2018 and 2019 pre-pandemic attendance levels. But just this past week, um, you know, things changed so quickly in this time. And uh, the French government has introduced now a requirement that moviegoers must present either proof that they're fully vaccinated or a negative COVID test before they Mm. go to the movies. And now all of a sudden, France's box office has dropped by 70 percent in the past weeks. So what that says to me, it's it's just very complex and there's so many moving parts. And 
I think what France did have in its quarter was a strong plethora of local content. But then mm. you have to not just look at that, you have to look at all the other variables, like the new variants that are emerging, vaccination rates in a country, the social distancing policies, and of course then new policies like France have implemented. And unfortunately, it looks like some other countries are starting to head that way in other major European markets. So it's just a really unpredictable time. And I can imagine it's incredibly frustrating for cinema owners in particular who can't control any of this and have to just continue to adapt their strategy in response to it. This might be um, a question you can't answer, but I did see that 70% drop off for France. And what kind of surprised me there was when I thought of it in terms of vaccination rates that, you know, it would have that much of a drop off. Do you know whether that has to do that 70% drop off mainly because there are low vaccination rates in, in France or is it the need for a vaccine passport? And I call that out because we've heard of vaccine passports around the world. And if governments are imposing it, but logistically it's hard to get in the hands of moviegoers, it could be a, a hurdle too high for a lot of moviegoers to cross. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. Um, I know in France, the vaccine rate right now is 43%. So it's actually quite a lot lower than some countries. And I think mm. um, I, would, I would hypothesize that the French government is looking at um, strategies such as this to try to coerce people, and especially younger people, to get the vaccine. Um, however, you're right. I think it just presents another barrier for somebody to come out. And if it is complicated to get a COVID passport or even a proof of a negative test, it's just another reason to, to not go out, which is unfortunate. And hopefully, again, this is just a, a bump in the road, but something we're closely watching as, you know, rumor has it that this could be the a new way for a while in some other markets. Yeah. And that, that's where um, having somebody like you is really useful, like having Turlock last week, who was able to talk about labor challenges in the US that countries might be experiencing down the track. Having you with this global perspective will hopefully provide some, some insights into what other countries might see on the horizon. Look, one of the other things we've seen coming through this, this era is that windows are shortening and major releases are being um, released simultaneously on streaming platforms. What tactics would you employ to drive people into cinemas over staying on the couch? Yeah, you know, I, I, I love thinking this way because it forces me to put my cinema marketer hat back on from many years ago as well. Um, and I, I do think that someone who loves movies is, is going to consume them in multiple ways. I think that most people are not exclusive cinema goers or exclusive streamers. So I think it's really about what that moviegoer is looking for in terms of an experience at that moment in time. So what I would do as a, a marketer is probably try to understand what motivates my customers to get off their couch to begin with and into the cinema and build off of that. For instance, um, I think for some people, it's a particular type of film they want to watch on the big screen, in which case I would focus my marketing maybe around the sensory experience of going to the cinema, the big screens, the great sound. And for others, perhaps it's like a social occasion, date night, a family outing, and then playing up the social experience that can't really be replicated at home would probably be a good angle for cinemas to, to pay attention to. So. I think understanding that motivation and probably more than ever moving beyond that mass marketing. And I know there's actually a desire probably to do more of that right now to get the word out that cinemas have reopened and just build back attendance in any means possible. But I still think that tailoring our messaging and marketing and offers to segments of your audience in a way that resonates with their individual needs is, is really critical and will hopefully resonate the most with them. 
Yeah, and look, while you've got that cinema hat on, and for those who can't see Sarah, that hat is a beanie. Um, you were a cinema marketer at Cineplex for almost a decade before joining Movio. So if you could give your prior self one tool that's available to marketers today that you didn't have, what would that be and why? Oh gosh, Matthew, I hate to break it to you. I was a bit more than a decade. I, when I started at Cineplex, there were fax machines that the marketing department still use. So it's, it's a little bit longer than that. Um, you know what, what I wish we had back then, which I think is incredible, is dynamic email. Um, I, I like to think that Cineplex were early industry leaders in the use of data. Um, and I think we did a lot of great work segmenting offers and communications and saw great results off the back of that. But I think the power to automatically and dynamically render, say, like a weekly newsletter or weekly email to someone that's based on AI and personalized to their tastes or their interests or their level of engagement with you, I think that would have been a game changer for us back then. So that's something that really excites me that I see happening today. And do you see that um, it's being used enough? So often we find that technology is available, um, but through, as your point earlier, having to do more with less, often there's the time constraints that mean people aren't embracing what's out there. Are you seeing that this is being taken advantage of at the moment? I think it's ramping up. And I think it goes back to my yeah. earlier point about leaner teams. I think people are having to be really mm. smart about their time and where they focus their energy. And when they're able to find really smart shortcuts like dynamic email, um, it saves them time and gets some better results. So it's really a win-win. So I know from my team standpoint, we've been doing a lot of retraining and upskilling on areas like this um, for Movio because um, the teams just are seeing such great results due to it. And, you know, it could be one of those silver linings that comes out of this pandemic down the road that we look back on is being able to really hone in on those tools that deliver the best results and making sure that um, cinemas are making the most of those. Traditionally, we've seen that distributors created brand awareness around a movie, but exhibitors then created the call to action and they motivated moviegoers to visit them and not the competitor down the road. Do you find now that paradigm is still appropriate or has it moved a little bit more recently? Yeah, it's, you know, when I started in the industry, someone once described it as the folklore of our industry and that's over 20 years now. So I think, you know, it is shifting. It's finally shifting. Um, and I think a lot of that shift in the paradigm comes down to the data. Studios spend millions on marketing their films in the digital space without actually having any reliable data to target their digital ads with. And I think most recently with the rules around cookie marketing changing in most markets, it becomes an even more apparent gap. And I, I believe this is where exhibitors have a really big advantage. Um, exhibitors have the direct relationship with moviegoers. They have rich databases of audiences they've been building for over many years. And I think what you're seeing with the paradigm and, and what I hope continues to happen is more partnerships forming between distributors and exhibitors to now if effectively leverage this data that's available and, and potentially then shift how, how the balance of, of marketing responsibility uh, lives. Yeah, and so as you say, digital and social marketing is becoming even more important. And I feel that the agility needed for um, the environment now means that it's more important compared to traditional media that's hard to swap out. So what tips and tricks would you give exhibitors and distributors and what pitfalls should they avoid as this becomes more commonplace? You know, in some ways, it's almost the same rules that we've been looking at for for email, um, it has to be relevant, it has to be personalized, 
but I'd also say it probably needs to be cohesive. And that's maybe where it's slightly different than the traditional email marketing world. Um, I think digital and social needs to fit within the overall strategy. Um, omni-channel was a buzzword from a few years back, uh, and I hate that I'm throwing it out, but it's actually kind of what I mean. Like, if you're going to recommend the film Old to me this week, then if I log on to um, the BBC's website or if I log on to Facebook, I better see the same movie promoted to me as I did in my email this week as well. So it's making sure that it all fits nicely together so that... Um, it really breaks through because consumers just, you know, have limited attention spans these days. And I think the more we can hone in and focus again on the right recommendations and the right messaging in these multiple channels, the more effective the marketing will be. So um, for me, that's probably the biggest tip is making sure that it, it all works together harmoniously. Yeah, that makes sense. And one of the things you called out there was the movie that's the best recommendation for you following you through. What are your perspectives on organic posts versus paid advertising on some of these social platforms in particular? Is there a role for both or would you recommend one as being more effective than the other? Oh, I definitely think there's a role for both. I think they serve probably slightly different purposes. I think organic posts um, are with the brands you follow and trust. Um, and it's part of that brand building and community building that I know a lot of cinema chains and studios are trying to do with their brands. And, and I think those can be very effective, whereas I think the, the paid advertising can also help you go beyond that, go beyond your immediate community and help you bring new people into the fold and help you hopefully convert not only new fans of your brand, but obviously convert to ticket purchase. So I think the balance of the two, um, having a strong organic strategy, but then also having a, a complementary kind of paid strategy that hones in on, on a few key segments for you is probably the best approach. And you know what I've loved seeing the past few years is, is a lot of our clients really dialing up their expertise in this area and having even dedicated teams focused on this because I think it is where everything's heading and will help people get the most out of their film marketing strategy. Yeah, brilliant. Look, as always, I've learned heaps. I, I do want to end with a bit of an admission. So we've known each other a long time, but before the Olympic opening ceremonies, I always thought that Canada was a state <laughs> and I've now learned it's a sovereign nation and you're one of its citizens. So I need to ask you, why is curling and did it deserve its own feature film in no, Men Matthew, with Matthew, it is a Canadian classic. Um, any Leslie Nielsen film, I'm sure, would be up your alley. So um, curling is uh, a sport I'm quite proud to say. I also curled as a teen. I was on the high school curling team. It's, you know, not for the faint of heart. It's risky. It's adrenaline-filled. You know, all the makings of a great movie. Drama. And I can only imagine you have the cleanest floors in England as a former curler. <laughs> Good point, good point. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. For those listening at home, I can guarantee you it won't be the only time you hear from Sarah. We will have her back as often as she can spare time for us. Uh, Simon, back to you. Thanks, Matt. Terrific work. And thank you, Sarah, for joining us. Matt, next week we've got a big release domestically, Jungle Cruise. Can you give us a, a quick insight to what the audience is looking like a few days out from release? Yeah, so we're looking at the pre-release audience only at the moment. And what we're seeing is the pre-release audience for Jungle Cruise is more frequent than what we see as a general pre-release audience across all movies in our database. 46% uh, of those who have currently purchased tickets for Jungle Cruise see at least six movies a year, whereas it's only 36% 
overall in the database. So that's 10 percentage points of difference. I can't help but wonder if it's less partly because some of those who are not so much into the cinema going experience are keeping their options open to watch at Disney+. Plus. One other thing I'm seeing, though, is that the male-female split is 55% male, 45% female. We've said before, typically a pre-release audience skews more heavily male, and it's generally 60%. So what we might be finding is that mums are buying tickets for the under-11s, where we're seeing some stronger performance, that, that, that it's skewing a little bit more like a kid's film. But one other thing that I found unusual at the other end of the spectrum is that there's some solid outperformance in pre-sales to those aged 55 plus. They represent 26% of Jungle Cruise's pre-sale audience. Uh, that's double what we typically see for a general pre-release audience. And my, my theory there is that they're just excited to see that nice Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn finally re reuniting to uh, the sequel to African Queen. Now, look, I should say this will continue to evolve between now and the release. And so my, my message for our exhibitor friends is really get on that front foot and make sure you're doing everything you can this week with highly precisely targeted audiences to minimize the couch leakage, to make sure you've got people coming into the theaters. And in particular, think about what you can do this week to convince occasional and infrequent cinema goers to cruise into theaters. Simon, see if you can top that pun. No, that was good, Matt. Some of, your, uh, some of your best work there. All looking forward to, to Jungle Cruise opening on Friday. Uh, moving on to, to next week, we'll have Jeremy joining us from The Wrap. I'll actually be away from next week's episode. I'm taking the, the family away for a quick vacation, but I'm sure we'll get somebody uh, probably more talented than myself to be filling in. Hopefully there's a spot when I come back from, from holidays to rejoin the, the podcast. But next week, as well as having Jeremy, we'll be discussing the opening box office of Jungle Cruise, The Green Knight and Stillwater. And on that note, I'd like to thank our guest, Sarah Luthwaite, again for joining us today and for everybody for listening in. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced and edited by Tiana Perez and Grace Furness. Additional insights from Christine Rizzolo and Ryan Preventure.